0: Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a sobriety and wellness podcast where you'll hear honest experiences about navigating life and relationships without alcohol, how to pursue your own personal wellness journey, and share intimate conversations with special guests. I'm your host, Keisha Scott. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Done With Debauchery. Last time we spoke, it was February 1st, and I was rolling into the weekend of my one-year sober anniversary. I'm so happy to report that I have made it through. I am officially on the other side. And have been sober for over 365 days. It is such an amazing feeling and truly overwhelming. Going into that day, I had so many plans and so many expectations because I was just so excited to celebrate. I was honestly more excited about my sober anniversary Than I was about my birthday this year. So I feel like that really says a lot. The night before my one year anniversary, I had a friend's birthday dinner that I was scheduled to attend. She is one of my dearest friends. We've been friends since high school. And last year on her birthday was actually the last time that I drank alcohol. So I did have some mixed feelings going into the dinner, to be completely honest. It's a lot of her friends that are attending, not mutual friends of ours, or people that I would never really see without her there. And some of them I hadn't seen since her birthday the year before. So I didn't know. Did they know that I don't drink anymore? Would they be trying to pressure me to drink or party or... Just would it be an awkward conversation? I feel like even now when I'm going out into social settings where I may not know everyone, I still have that little piece in the back of my mind that it's not an insecurity, but it's just something that I like to be aware of that I may be in a position where I have to navigate this conversation and what am I going to say if I get pushed back? So I was kind of in my head before I was going to this dinner. I was a little nervous and... I didn't have to be as soon as I got there or even before I got there. My friend is so thoughtful. She chose a place that had a beautiful non-alcoholic menu. There was four different mocktails that were so creative. Like we're not talking just a mojito, no rum. These were extensive mocktails that were truly like curated for someone who doesn't want alcohol in their drink. They were so delicious. And as soon as I got to the dinner, it was perfect. Not one person said anything to me about why am I not drinking. It was easy for me to order a non-alcoholic drink from the server because they have them on the menu. It's not asking what can the bar make me. It was just such a seamless process, which feels so nice when you're going into a situation that you may feel a little unsure of. But the dinner was amazing. The food was great. I had two mocktails. I was home by twelve thirty. Um, one of the couples at the dinner actually did end up asking towards the end of, towards the end of the night if I was just kind of doing an extended dry January or why I wasn't drinking, and I just said I don't drink anymore. It's been a year now, like coming up on a year and they were so supportive one of the girls actually opened up and shared about how her sister had recently cut back and she was so proud of her and the girl I was speaking to is a mixologist in the restaurant industry and she was so excited to talk about mocktails with me and all the thought and care that she puts into them so it was a really nice experience um in the end and i'm so glad i went i didn't let my fears of what may or may not happen get in the way of me going for my friend's birthday having a beautiful night and celebrating her and so when i woke up the next morning after a sober birthday dinner it was my one year sober anniversary and I was so excited for this day, I had booked myself a massage, I ordered a cake, I had all these grand ideas of what I wanted the day to be, and in the end, of course, what I wanted is not exactly what I got. So it started, I had a great morning, coffee, took my dog for a walk, just kind of eased into the day. Then I went for my massage, and I had kind of waited last minute to book a massage, and I honestly should have known that somebody had 12.30 p.m. available on a Saturday downtown Toronto, that maybe this wasn't going to be the experience I was hoping for. So I get there, and the woman comes out to greet me, and like my heart kind of like dropped a little bit. She was probably 60 years old and I just knew that she wasn't going to have the strength that I really needed for the type of massage that I was hoping for. I'm six feet tall. I work out like I was hoping for a very kind of like deep tissue, but also like relaxing massage it ended up not being that. I don't want to say it was one of the worst massages that I ever got because she was so sweet and I know she really gave it her all, but it just wasn't the experience that I was looking for, but I tried to like roll it off. Like, um, a not so great massage is still better than no massage. And I had a little bit of, I guess it's like, I don't know if it would be referred to as an omen or a sign you know, when you see something and it just kind of reminds you that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. I had that kind of moment on Saturday at the massage in the room she took me into. There was a big photo of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, which is kind of like, um, it's definitely a sign for me. I've been to Paris three times. One was with, was with my mom and We had such a beautiful time. It was so fun. So since then, we're always buying each other Eiffel Tower things, photos, pictures, whatever, like t-shirts, like the Eiffel Tower is our go-to. So when I saw that there was a big picture of the Eiffel Tower in the room, it kind of like put me at ease just knowing that I was where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. After my mediocre massage, I went and picked up the cake that I ordered, which I was so excited for. I spent so much time on the website of the bakery looking into all the different flavors. They were really unique, choosing the colors I wanted for the icing. What did I want the cake to say? It was truly supposed to be a masterpiece. And then I picked it up, got it home. And it just like was not what I had envisioned and I was really disappointed and I I can totally understand that this may feel like I'm complaining about things that it's champagne problems. Like I had a massage I didn't like and a custom cake that I wasn't happy with, but in the moment it, it was more about the meaning of these items in the day and what I wanted it to symbolize And how I wanted to mark the day that was really disappointing for me. And I had a total breakdown. Like I was crying. I was very upset talking to my partner on the phone and like honestly sobbing. And I kind of had to take a minute and check in with myself and think like the reaction that I'm having right now is not in line With the thing that I think that I'm upset about. Like the cake not being the right colors. Is not pulling this reaction of true tears out of me right now. And I realized that I had put so many expectations on this day. On how perfect it was supposed to be. Everything had to be picture perfect. And yeah I really just kind of set it up. And put so much pressure on myself to make this day amazing and to make sure I had a great day that I wasn't listening to really how I was feeling throughout the day. And that was overwhelmed and tired. Honestly, I was exhausted. And I did share on my last podcast episode that my one year sober anniversary is the birthday of a friend who has passed on. So I have two friends that share the same birthday And I really didn't give myself the space to feel all of those feelings on my sober anniversary. I was too preoccupied with making it this big, amazing, beautiful day to celebrate that when something small happened that was kind of outside of my control, I exploded because I was just so dysregulated trying to manage all of these feelings and really trying to suppress them. So I had a little cry and checked in with myself and really just reminded myself that the importance of the day is whatever I make it like it's celebrating the fact that I work so hard to make it to 1 year sober that is the day like that is the accomplishment nothing else that happens matters the rest is just bonus stuff so yeah, and it's also a cue to check in with yourself. Like I was so reactive over these little things that on a normal day probably wouldn't have phased me. So I yeah, I was really in my feelings. It ended up being a beautiful day after I decompressed. I changed my expectations of the day and tried to just go with the flow. Uh, it ended up being a wonderful day. Not what I expected or anticipated, but I think that the flow of emotions and having those overwhelming feelings is also just part of sobriety and part of the process. So moving on, I do have a really a really fun conversation for you this week, and it's a long one. So I don't want to spend too much time talking your ear off at the beginning, This week, I am joined by John Lupin, but some of you may know him as the Poetry Bandit. Not only is John an amazing writer, but he's a sober single dad, he owns his own business, and he's an amazing storyteller, which you'll hear in this episode. We talk everything sobriety from his drinking days to what it was like separating from his wife getting sober, and then entering the dating scene as a newly single and sober man. It's a great episode, so let's get into it. John Lupin, welcome to Done With Debauchery.
1: Thanks for having me, Keisha. I appreciate it.
0: I'm very excited to chat with you. As I was saying, I feel like I already know you. I feel like we're already friends. But, yeah, but I feel like there is so much information that I'm excited to get out of you today. So I would love to start by just learning more about you. Who are you? Where are you located?
1: Well, um, my, my journey started... Well, I started my drinking days here in BC, so I live just outside of Vancouver and pretty much did all my grown up around here and grew up pretty good. Like, I, you know, I, I've uh, heard a lot of crazy stories from people in recovery um, and uh, my story doesn't involve like underage drinking or anything like that. I was a pretty straight laced kid, uh, grew up with, uh, you know, that typical nuclear family Uh, two parents are still married together today. I think they, uh, celebrated 52 years of marriage this year. And, um, I got one brother and that's kind of it. And then I went to a small private Christian school, um, you know, kept my nose clean, uh, had a bit of a temper. (laughs) Um, but I hated being bullied. Like the one thing that I hated was being bullied and that was pretty much my whole high school. And well, most of my elementary and high school, career was you know being the target of like so the thing is is I grew up with a lot of Dutch people so I grew up in this like small Christian community and everybody was Dutch so everybody was tall (laughs) and the tall gene kind of skipped my family's gene pool so uh, I was much shorter than everybody and so for some odd reason that made me the target of a lot of bullying and a lot of uh, ridicule so I grew up with a chip on my shoulder primarily because of that and the only reason I bring that up because it's going to pop into our question, our conversation about dating. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in lockers, uh, getting beat up for no reason. Uh, you know, let's, let's take off on John, that kind of stuff. So that always kind of made me feel less than. And so as I grew up and I became a teenager, I tried different ways of, uh, you know, making people notice me. And one of the things was drinking. So um, would be later in my teens, I would drink and be the life of the party, and I would always bring booze. And I was the guy that you knew that would always you'd always have a good time hanging around John because he was going to do something crazy or say something okay. crazy. And um, so I kind of liked the feeling that alcohol gave me, right? And nobody that I hung out with was a real big drinker. Like, I was the one leading the charge all the time. And it wasn't constant. It was, you know, a weekend here and there. So no one ever really thought it was a problem. Right. And uh then in my twenties, I uh, did a little bit of traveling, got a good job. Um, And then that job kind of introduced me to um the world of wine. I was an insurance broker for a large insurance broker here in BC and I created this winery insurance program. Okay. And, um, in about seven years, I had grown it from one winery to about 120, and so I was always in the interior of BC, visiting wineries and that sort of thing. And during that time, I got married and had three kids with my ex-wife, and and um, yeah, we we had uh, two cars, nice house, great job, happy kids. Not the best marriage, but we never mm-hmm. fought. It was just like we were just two different people. Okay but we never really addressed anything because, you know, I was too busy traveling and drinking and she was busy doing stuff at home. And so I, um I kept going with that feeling that I had when I started drinking in high school. Um, I kept going with that feeling because like when I was drinking and buying drinks and schmoozing and getting to know these people in the winery industry, I felt like I was someone and, and uh, people listened and, people brought their business to me and I was very successful at doing that, but I lost my way. Like from the time that I started, uh, drinking occasionally in high school, um, up until I got that job, I was doing a lot of creating. I was writing uh, short stories. I wrote a couple of movies. I wrote a fantasy novel that's 900 pages long. It's still not done. Um, I was a musician. I, I recorded some albums. I played in all these different bands. Um, I wrote a lot of music. I was always creating. And then when I started this job and it took me from like 2006 to about 2014, during that time, I didn't do any creating, anything for myself. I just worked and drank. And, uh, yeah, I ended up, um, drinking near the end I was blacking out often and I was drinking about three bottles of wine every day wow yeah and it would start at 11 and it would go right till one or two o'clock in the morning and uh, I would always space it out so it never felt like I had a problem right but when I started blacking out and disappearing in the city and shutting down strip clubs and getting tossed in alleyways and people wondering where I was and yeah I mean I can remember most of it but um you know, all stuff I would never do if I was sober, you know, sure. when people go downtown Vancouver for a meeting, they go downtown for Vancouver for a meeting and then they, they come home in a few hours. But for me, I would go down and I wouldn't come home for 12, 14 hours. And so um that was kind of my life for the last two, three years before I got sober. And um in 2014, my ex came home with a typewriter as was like, late 2014. And I at that point, I had admitted I had a problem with alcohol, but I wasn't really ready to deal with it. So I would get like a couple of months of dry month here and there. But I would always go back out and it would be worse. Every time I would quit, I would start again, out of pity for myself or what have you. And it would just get worse and worse and worse and blackout sooner, I would drink more. And so my ex was going through a few things. We lost uh, a couple of pregnancies between our second and our third child. And that was really hard for her. And um, one of my greatest resentments to myself was not being more present there. And um, But I've dealt with that and and apologized to her for that. And uh, she came home with a typewriter and she started writing and posting things on Instagram. So I was like, she was like, y- you need to do something like this while you're trying to not drink or go to yeah, a liquor store. And I was back. like... Exactly. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. And that's kind of how I started writing poetry and posting on Instagram. And um, that's kind of how the Poetry Bandit was born. And I called myself that because I felt like as things started to tick along and people were connecting with my writing again, I was like, well, this is what I always wanted to do with my writing, but the internet just wasn't around <laughs> when I was writing. You know, uh, you'd have to like go through all these channels to get anybody to read your stuff. And so I, I loved it I I loved the instant uh connection that I would make with people and that's kind of how the poetry bandit was born and I called myself that because I felt like I was stealing my love of language back from alcohol and every poem I wrote in those early days uh until I actually did get sober on July 29th 2015 so like from oct- October 2014 to my sobriety date I was writing and drinking but I felt like I was always writing about alcohol. So every poem during that time, if I was writing a poem about a woman or writing a poem about someone else, it was always about alcohol. Um, and so, yeah. And then when I finally did get sober, um my writing took a shift. It took a shift into um, exploring the deeper parts of myself and my soul and, and then I started writing poetry for other people. I did a lot of custom poetry for people who were in the same position that I was. And I met a lot of people on Instagram that uh, had gotten sober and um, and had found a way to make it stick. And so a lot of those people walked alongside me and helped guide me to certain recovery meetings that, you know, made it work for me. Yeah, that's so, amazing. That's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I feel like that was a great summary. You covered so much. So you've been sober since 2015. Yep. Yeah, congratulations. That's amazing. (laughs) And yeah, just working in an industry that is so heavily related to alcohol, it can be such a slippery slope. I've experienced something similar and I know that that resonates with so many people And even just like what you said of like going out for a business meeting and coming home like 12 hours later, like I worked. Who does that?
1: I mean, I've done that.
0: I've done that. So I get it, but yeah, it's such a hard cycle to break and it's almost like you needed to shift your career and get out of that environment to be able to really create that change in your life.
1: I quit that job and they didn't know why they had no idea. Why would you leave this? You were a director of sales of two provinces and, running these programs and you were, you're making good money. Why would you quit and make 50% less than you're making now and work somewhere smaller? And uh, I just needed to scale everything back and take a lot of stuff out of my life. Like I felt at the time, you know, and I had a sponsor that said that was, you know, you, you can do all the things that you're doing right now in sobriety. You don't have to like say no to a lot of things but i felt in the t- in the moment i didn't have a sponsor uh, and i made a lot of mistakes in my early sobriety i still stayed sober but i did a lot of things that i feel like i didn't need to do like i moved the family into three different homes because you know i just felt like that geographical sobriety mm. thing was really pulling hard at me like if we leave that house behind everything will get better
0: yeah <laughs> You're you know, like really running away from that. We have bad memories here. Let's start in a new yeah. fresh space. Everything needs that's to be right. new.
1: That's right. And so maybe not necessarily the the brightest thing at the time, but you know, that's part of my story and uh, and I, I I love it now. But um yeah, I left that job and I could have stayed and I could have been a champion for, you know, getting out of like the liquid lunch uh thing, right? You start at eleven yeah. and you're done at three always finding someone to drink with, like I could have stayed and changed things. Right. But I felt like in the moment that was the wrong move because there was a lot of temptation there. So um, Mm -hmm. I still think, yeah, sometimes I think it's the wrong, it was the wrong move, but I mean, look at me now, it's obviously the right move, but.
0: Yeah, exactly. You seem very happy now. And sometimes you do need to like, just have an entirely new perspective and new environment and start fresh and. I feel like a big part of sobriety is taking that leap of faith. Like you're believing in yourself. You're believing in what your life could be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you said you were in the real estate industry?
0: Yeah, I have been for the last 10 years um, selling pre-construction condos in Toronto And it was for me, at least, like, I know that there's many real estate agents who don't drink and party and go hard. But in the group that I was in, which was like a very small group of agents who worked on these priority VIP launches, it was a lot of wining and dining, going out for dinners, going out for bottle service, like wine tasting events. And like it, those events are what you make them and what you want mm-hmm. them to be. And for me, I always wanted them to be a party. So of course, I would be drawn to the people who were going out after, who were going to be up till three in the morning, drinking, blacking out, showing up to work hungover the next day, like not even wanting to like face my clients. Yeah. So, and I started doing bottle service before that. So a lot of my career has been alcohol adjacent or alcohol involved.
1: Yeah. And, I'm just, and people wear that as a badge of honor, right? When you get drunk and you show yeah. up to work the next day, it's kind of like good for you. And it's kind of like, huh? Yeah. What? How is that good for me?
0: Yeah. And <laughs> so through like sobriety as well, I'm also going through a career transition. I actually just accepted a new job yesterday. So
1: congratulations.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So I'm leaving the industry sort of, it's like kind of real estate adjacent, but it's a totally different environment, different group of people, something that I'm passionate about. And it's like taking, taking that leap. And like, things are going to work out. And if I was drinking, like I never would have had the balls essentially to leave. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like I find that the four years that I spent after I left that big job, I spent four years working for a smaller company and it was, um, it was literally the most difficult four years of my early sobriety because I'd made so many weird changes and done things that I never would have done if I was still drinking, and they were difficult. But it it made me a better person today. And so, you know, um, when I when I finished up my four years at that company, I was like, I could. Why am I not working for myself? So, like, one of the people that I met as the Poetry Bandit was Arlene Dickinson from Dragons Den. Okay. Yeah. And so I reached, uh, she was a big fan and we would chat every once in a while. And, um, uh, I said to her, you know, I'm really struggling in my career right now and, um, I'm sober, but I'm super unhappy. And, um, I said, I, I think I, I need to be my own boss, but I don't really know what that looks like. Mm. And she offered to meet me for coffee. She was here in BC for a, a women's tour. Um, and she was speaking and she was, a- it was actually in my town. Um, so I was I know I was like, what, what luck. Right. So I met her for coffee before she went on stage and we spent about an hour together. Just what is, what is an entrepreneurial ship look like and what kind of safety net is important. And, um, I just asked for advice. I never asked for money. That's never why I was interested in speaking with her. So, um, yeah, I gained some invaluable knowledge from her about how to, how to pursue a dream. Like I had always said to myself when I was drinking that I wanted to own something before I was 40, but I never thought I would own my own thing. I was always putting myself on a lower rung. So I was like, I want to own part of your company. But I never thought about like when I was drinking, I never thought about like, why not own my own company and do it all myself. And because I was scared, I was afraid and I was always putting something else first like alcohol. And so um being sober it felt like it was more attainable and I could ask for help, I could put my ego aside and ask someone like how do I do this? And um yeah, and so I started my own business back in 2018 and um yeah, never looked back in that and then during that time everything started to shift for me. So my first 3 3 to 4 years of sobriety was just kind of like a it wasn't like white knuckling it. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was sober. I was going to meetings. I had a sponsor. I did a couple of rounds of steps. Um, I was, you know, helping people. I was still writing, but I was still really unhappy in my core and I didn't know why. And, um, I had a, at the time it was a challenging marriage and, uh, one of our kids was diagnosed with autism and, there was just a lot going on. And so I always felt like I was pulled in so many different directions and, um, usually, yeah, and then around four years of sobriety, I started my own business The three and a half years. And, um, yeah, I never, never looked back. Everything started to line up and suddenly like all the gifts of sobriety, like just started to happen. So feeling like I was aligned with, um, where I was going in my life, I was suddenly able to let go of everything around me. Mm. So let go of controlling my career, let go of controlling, um, you know, my kids safety. I was always very afraid of letting them go outside and yeah. be kids. You know, I was just afraid and, um, you know, just doing that one thing kind of gained a lot of, uh, courage for me. And so I found, um, um, I found it was easier to do things like let go of my marriage. (laughs) I knew it was, it was getting more and more toxic. And I knew that uh, at some point it would get really nasty and it was better to part ways before it did. And so when I said to Rose, I said, I think I'm done here. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm done too. It's just everything that had happened in the past. We were just kind of like, yeah, I think that's just sort of like, we're at the finish line. Right. Yeah, and it felt like a, it felt like a good time to sort of uh, call it quits. And yeah, we made it very amicable We made it about the kids and not about money and not about status or anything else. And we just I continued to support her and make sure that, you know, she was able to live a good life and have the kids and share the kids. And yeah, we did it all very uh, amicably. And so that that's actually one of the hugest gifts that sobriety gave me was to be able to walk away from something do a round of steps with that person, admit everything that happened, ask for forgiveness, forgive that person and move on. Yeah. Right. And I find that even in sobriety, like I had a sponsor and he was going through a second divorce and um, he had not had as an amicable situations as I did. And I actually had to walk away from that relationship for a little while because I found that a lot of that negativity was creeping into my life. And so, that was oh, wow. another gift that sobriety gave me was I was able to identify what 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 wasn't working for me at the time, and that and that means taking a step back from a a longtime friendship and just going okay, well, I'm not removing this person from my life, but you know, I'm just going to keep them at arm's length while I go through a difficult time
0: and take some um,
1: space. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I think that's amazing. Like, I'm so excited about this journey you've been on. So the fact that you got to meet Arlene Dickinson, have a once in a lifetime conversation and just get some clarity on what steps you needed to take for yourself. But I also feel like like, what you said about not feeling happy and fulfilled for the first few years is something that's not really talked about. Like online, (laughs) you see sobriety and it's really just painted with this brush of like, you remove alcohol, everything's going to be better. You're going to be happy. You're going to look good. Like everything is going to work out. And that's not always how it feels. Like That's right. Just because you're improving this one part of your life, that doesn't mean there's not still like shit raining down on you from like so many other areas, that like life is still happening on so many different levels. So I really resonate with that. And I appreciate you being honest that like, it's not necessarily going to be rainbows and sunshine right away.
1: Exactly. And I I feel like we talk about the pink cloud a lot. And that we all know the pink cloud goes away. But I actually don't think the pink cloud goes away. A friend of mine said, like, uh, a really good friend of mine that I've known for a few years now, we both have the same amount of sobriety and um, come from the same background in recovery. And she believes now that the pink cloud is never really gone. It's just that there are days where, you know, grayer clouds kind of cover up the pink cloud. Like it's and then other days, like the gray clouds go and you can see your pink cloud again. And so like it's always there. Like sobriety always provides yeah. us with the pink cloud. Right. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that it, you're always going to be on it. But at least you mm-hmm. can see it, at least you know what's there, right?
0: yeah, it's like that looking through the rose colored glasses, like things are better. you can see that there is like better to come, but you still have to go through what's happening,
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah, and um one of those one of those difficult things is dating Segway!
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's what I was gonna ask you, so you got sober, and then your marriage ended once you were sober.
1: Right. Yeah. So that was another thing that kind of happened differently was like I was able to have an amicable divorce in sobriety uh, instead of like having the marriage suffer because of my drinking. Um, I just think it was kind of, you know, I got sober, I spent three and a half years in sobriety and then realized that the marriage was something that was holding me back in my sobriety. And it wasn't like I wanted to... I I never fell in love with anybody else. I never Mm -hmm. cheated on my ex in that way. I just felt like um, it was a huge source of anxiety for me. We got married quite young in a small Christian community. And there wasn't a lot of uh, building of a friendship beforehand. We didn't really know each other that well before we got married. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of like you court someone and then after a year you know that person's for you, you get married to them. There's no continuous getting to know that person. It's just you. Or getting to know other people. You got it. Dating is frowned upon. I never learned how to date when I was younger. Um, And that's not a knock on my parents at all, but more about like how um, you are raised in a small Christian community. Uh, And it's not a knock on Christianity either, but it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's just not something that's taught. And uh, I feel that, Uh, A lot of people are missing out on um, some experiences because I think automatically dating is equated with casual sex, which is completely false and not not the truth. And so it's frowned upon to date. It's like God has one person for you and that's that person for the rest of your life, which I do Mm -hmm. believe now is total bullshit. Um, I'm allowed to say that.
0: Yeah, you can say whatever you
1: want. All you right, can say
0: fuck if you want. <laughs> Ooh,
1: oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, and I, I I don't believe in that anymore. Like I do believe that there are um, there's more than one perfect person out there for you, mm-hmm. and the person that you end up with is the, the just the person where you took a chance getting to know that perfect person, and I and I say perfect with quotation for fingers yeah. because no one's really perfect, but. You know, um, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, but... um, Yeah,
0: and you get so much out of different relationships, like, because everyone is so different and unique. Yeah. Yeah, so I I had something that I was going to say, and now I totally forgot it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It'll come back to you in, like, three minutes.
0: (laughs) It'll come back to me. So... Yeah. So okay. So let's just get the timeline. So you got sober. You separated from your marriage, and then yep. you immediately started dating. Did you take a little break <laughs> or? Well, oh, what I was going to say. Sorry, I, it, less than three minutes. I also went to a private Christian school. So from oh, yeah. kindergarten to grade eight, and yeah, my like immediate family—my mom, my dad—are not overly religious, but my grandparents are. So I had. I feel like kind of like the contrast whereas i was born before my parents were married i was at their wedding but then i was also in this school that really taught monogamy there's one person for everyone like yeah dating and sex like it's just it's the devil's dance kind of thing that's right
1: that's right yeah
0: yeah and like that never resonated with me and i felt like i did not fit in at all there
1: (laughs) yeah i always felt like um I always felt that way. Like I was, you know, I mean, I, when I met my ex, you know, we were in love and it, mm-hmm. but it didn't last, it didn't last long. And I I don't know why, but I mean, now I know why it's because I was an alcoholic and, and uh, you know, my, my lust for life lied with alcohol instead of with a person, but mm-hmm. you know um, and that, that developed obviously it wasn't all right away, but um, you know, we did have a lot of good times and I'm grateful for the marriage. We were together for 15, 17 years married for 15 and we have three amazing kids and a good friendship out of the deal. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm really happy about that. I'm not sad about anything. I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, other than like, obviously not being there fully functional for part of it. (laughs) Yeah. But that's part of like why you do the steps, why you, you know, seek out what resentments you have or what other people have and you deal with them. But yeah, yeah, I mean, moving into, uh, so got separated in August, 2019. And it's interesting. A lot of people ask me why I wasn't more upset about the end of my marriage. And in January, 2019, I was approached by my publisher to write a third book and I called it Encyclopedia of a Broken Heart because I felt like there was something going on inside of me, but I didn't know what it was. So I wrote this, I wrote this book in two weeks. I just sat in a coffee shop and I just wrote like crazy and I didn't know why, sent it out to the publisher. We finished it all up, edited it, spent a few months working on it. And then we put it out to market and I got my copy about a month after our marriage fell apart. We ended it, I should say. And um, I read my author copy and I was like, Oh, so this is why I wrote that book. (laughs) Uh I had actually wrote and processed subconsciously the end of my marriage. And so I felt like uh, I had dealt with a lot of stuff already. So I wasn't automatically like sad. I I didn't really cry until a few months afterwards when, you know, the initial shock and all this extra stuff that Mm -hmm. came along with it uh, kind of appeared. And so one of the things that I did do to answer your earlier question is I did hop on the dating apps about a week after she moved out because she had as well. And I thought, well, if she's doing it, maybe, maybe I should, do it as well maybe i need a distraction and that was wrong wrong of me to try to do that (laughs) because it opened up a world of pain and suffering on a level that i had not anticipated oh my
0: god (laughs) oh no
1: because i hadn't worked on anything really on myself like yeah i was i was over my ex um but nobody believed me and so that was one thing that came up is like if, if if you're over your ex that's great um I know I was and, but you put yourself out there a little too early. No one's going to believe you anyway. Mm -hmm. So just, just take some more time for yourself. And, you know, so I did try and I had this, uh, what I thought was started off as a really good date, but, um, you know, I think one of the things that I didn't do well enough was communicate where I was in life Mm -hmm. and really not people please. Uh, I think a, a lot of people go into their first dating experience after a relationship ends, with this feeling like I got to find the next person or I need to be in something, uh, being alone is terrible. And I don't know what I'm going to do if nobody loves me. And, Mm -hmm. or they feel like, um, you know, I just need, I need someone to get, I need to cleanse my palate. I mean, I've heard that before from some people and, um, I didn't communicate that clear enough. Like I was just, I was just looking, I just wanted to see what dating was like these days and um and my first date uh this lady fell madly in love with me and i don't know if i want to say love or like or whatever but um sure. she really liked me and I, I i thought she was great uh she was very beautiful and um but she was started to talk about a life together almost right away and i was like oh this lady is ready and, and that's I kind am of a not... red
0: flag like
1: <laughs> little you bit don't
0: know somebody <laughs>
1: I know. It's like, I don't know you. And um, it's great to have this kind of chemistry in this connection. But it's, it's a little early to be thrown out the C word. And um,
0: what's the C word? Oh, commitment?
1: Connection. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Everybody is like, but we have this connection. I'm just checking in on our connection. And I was like, Oh, my gosh. That's this world drives me nuts now. And so I was like, there's, the, you know, yeah, I mean, we can have these really great first dating experiences, but you can't really talk about a connection until you've actually spent some real considerable time getting to know each other.
0: A hundred percent. Like a
1: few, like a few months, maybe a few weeks, maybe like five or six dates. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, what's the rule on being able to use the C word? You know, nobody yeah. talks about these things, but And I know it's different for everybody. Everybody meets on different levels and stuff. But um, yeah, so then I was like, wow, okay, like, there are some people out here that are very, very ready to like, settle down and do their thing. And I am not. And so after that first experience and saying to this person, I wasn't ready. um, (laughs) I I said I wasn't ready. And she was very good about that. And so a few months goes by. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the story gets crazier, but I mean, oh, no. I, <laughs> I said I'm not ready. And so a few months goes by and I thought I was ready again. And so <laughs> I was not oh, because no. I, ah, mean, oh, yeah, it was, it was stupid of me. Um, I fully admit all my mistakes. Um, so <laughs> a few months later, I decide, I think we're going to try this again. And it's totally my right. And I did do work. I spent some time getting to know about boundaries i did a couple of classes with create the love i did all those kinds of things oh, nice. and yeah it went back to therapy i took my kids to therapy i was working a lot i was making things work and i was pretty happy and so i thought i'll give this a shot again and i'll be intentional about what i want what i want and what i'm looking for and that's what i did and i talked with this one girl for about a week and then we decided to meet and so got a babysitter go out to meet this person. She walks in, and it's a completely different vibe. It's like i just I just took a dump in her car and left it there. <sighs> what? That's the look on her face. It was a total disgust, and I was what the like, fuck? yeah, I was like, "I don't know what's happening here, so anyway, uh, I buy her a tea, we sit down, and she proceeds to ask me like a whole bunch of questions, just like one, uh... two, three. And I was like, okay, something's going on here. <laughs> and she asked, so, says, like, I'd be happy to go on a second date with you. You can go ahead and uh, DM me what you want to do. And shook my hand and left. And I was like, Ugh. wow, so this is my <laughs> second dating experience. And uh, uh, this is this is terrible. I don't know. I just sat there for a little while with cold tea thinking. And then I realized, oh, shit, she didn't even touch her tea. So... I was like, okay, was this interviewing was,
0: you. Do you check this the was an interview?
1: Yeah, but it was more, it was more insidious than that. Later on, I got a message from the first girl that I'd gone out on a date with a few months earlier, and she was just checking in on our connection. And I was like, oh I, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have a connection. We haven't talked in a very long time, and. And she says, well, I see you had a good friend with a good date with my friend today. And I was like, (gasps) okay. (laughs) What
0: the (laughs) fuck?
1: So apparently, apparently I was not ready. I had to, uh, she had this narrative, I guess, that I I would, I should have spent more time or, you know, a few months isn't enough. And so, Mm, um, yeah. So, and then I didn't date for a very long time after that, because I was like, you?" I uh, know I was just like, okay, well people are teaming up and like setting me up and making me waste my time. And I, you know, just like as an and aside, like a um,
0: you thought you were having nice conversations with somebody. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly. Them. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it was a setup and, but the lady, uh, the first lady did uh, email me about a year later and apologize for everything. So uh, I, I took that to heart. And so while I tell that story, it, it's not out of resentment towards either one of those ladies, uh, mm. but um, it's just like an example of what it was like out there for me at yeah. the very beginning. And so and after for someone who some, hasn't
0: dated in 17 years.
1: <laughs> or at all, like, like my ex-wife was my first girlfriend. So I, I didn't even know. Right. So one of the things I learned out of that experience was like, Johnny needs to hire a dating coach. <laughs> did you? So I did. So like 2019, I had met someone actually, and we had four dates and it didn't work out. Cause I, again, I, I felt like, uh, I felt like I wasn't ready. Uh, and she was ready for a different level of commitment. And I had a hard time trusting people because as a divorced man with three kids and my own business, I kind of felt like I had a big target on my back as uh, someone with money. And mm-hmm. I had read a lot of the wrong things at the time. And I was just very protective of, you know, where I was in life and I wanted to protect my kids. I wanted to protect um because like I had already gone through a divorce and the divorce finalized with, you know, within the first year of the separation, which was great. But I mean, it costs money and there's all these things and I have to pay for school for my kids and do all these other things. And I've like, do I want to rush into something where it's not going to work out? Like, that's a real fear that a lot of divorced people have. Okay. Um And so, again, wasn't ready. And I thought, okay, now I need to, I need to switch things up. And then, COVID. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So, finally ready. I'm sorry, but you're such there. a
0: good storyteller. I'm loving this. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I I felt like uh it's, yeah, it's kind of like this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it feels like
1: it. Yeah, so then COVID happened and I was like, now what? You know, and it's stuck inside with the kids. There's no dating happening at all. So mm-hmm. it was a good time to just sort of you know, relax and forget about it and do more work. And that's kind of what I did. I did a lot more reading and more boundary classes and... Wrote about that a lot more and um, yeah, I spent time getting to know a few people online who were just really helpful in, in uh, helping me understand how women operate <laughs> and uh, what's expected and how things go. And so COVID kind of like went through and I didn't really meet anybody and I, I, I did hop on the apps a few times because you're bored AF and like yeah. what else is there to do? And if you're safe and you're vaccinated, people are like, well, I'm still okay to meet up. And yeah, um, just nothing, nothing ever materialized. And it was just more, I felt like during that time, there were a lot of people like me just looking to distract themselves with something. Mm-hmm. And, um, that just seemed to be acceptable and what everybody was doing. And, um, but still didn't meet anybody. And, uh, at the tail end of COVID and things started to open up again in 2021, I, Found someone online who was a dating coach specifically for men. And so I was running into a lot of issues between the time that things opened up and the time that I hired this dating coach. And a lot of things kind of centered around my height and my sobriety. And so a lot of times I would meet someone, we'd get to chatting. And then I would get like a message back saying, Oh, I just saw that you're five seven. I need my man to be over six feet tall, or just a flat out, like, you need to be this tall to ride this ride. And I'd be <gasps> like, Well, I'd probably throw up on that ride anyway. So, see you. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like, a lot of stuff, like, and. And I had one lady who she was five nine and uh, we had met on Tinder and on Tinder, there's not really an option to put your height in there. So you got to put it in your Mm. bio and not everybody reads the bio. And so, you know, uh, we chatted for a few days and I still have this text message saved because it's beyond ridiculous to me. Um, And I, 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 I totally understand that she, she has a boundary but blaming it on the universe <laughs> and then saying, I'm deeply, I'm deeply disappointed that you're this height, like to actually say that to someone, That's it's so like, rude. I
0: don't,
1: it is rude. Like, here's the thing. And I see it a lot on dating bios. And I, I can say this because I feel very strongly about this. But if you're going to say you need to be over six feet tall, don't be upset when a guy says you need to be under 150 pounds to date me.
0: Mm-hmm. It is
1: the same thing. Speaking as a short king, um, you know, speaking as a short king, I'm saying, you know, if you're making a boundary, if you're saying about you need to somebody's deal physical tall,
0: appearance, yeah,
1: it goes both ways. It I understand what does. you mean
0: by that. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sorry that you've had those kind of responses. It's very mean, <laughs> like, and just like not needed. And so I'm six feet tall. And I yeah. actually date people and have dated people that are shorter than me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's just person I don't know.
1: It's frustrating I- because I'm into taller women. I, I, you know, I have gone on dates with women that are shorter than me or the same height. Like, it doesn't really matter, but I, I do like a taller woman. But, you know, that's just a, that's just a physical thing. But for me, like, I look for a total package of a person and, and, that's and, and physical appearance. Yeah.
0: How are you going to write somebody off based off their height and not even get a chance to know the person? Like, yeah.
1: And it's very much a sobriety thing as well, because it's, if if I'm committed to dating without resentments, I have to be intentional about every single thing that I do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work there for someone who's sober because if you want to continue to stay sober and stay out of the resentment arena, you do have to you have to make sure that you're intentional. You just can't go out like I did it right away. They just go out and go on a whole bunch of dates with people that it's going to go nowhere. Yeah. You have to have a plan. You have to have an idea. What are you attracted to? What are you not? What, what are you are looking for? What are you not? What are your values? What are your morals? Where? What are your green flags? What are your red flags? And like, it's okay to start chatting to someone and figure those things out. But as yeah. soon as you see them and it's not for you, you need to part ways with that person, yeah. not continue on or people please until the point of no return. Right?
0: All I can say about the comments about your height is that if that is somebody's response, they're not your person because that person's a bitch. Like, so they're (laughs) just like weeding themselves out and like actually saving you time, even though I'm sure that it like cannot be nice to hear that.
1: Well, now I'm kind of used to it. Like, um, you know, people go, but you get so many matches in your, in your bumble or your hinge. And I'm like, usually if I'm on those apps, I get maybe one match, a month okay it doesn't matter if I put on there that I'm the poetry bandit or not but my height is always on there I never lie about it I always say that I'm sober I never lie about that either but it's usually one or two matches a month and then usually they go nowhere um it's you know obviously it goes nowhere because I'm still single so um you know those two things often come up and the one about sobriety is like Mm -hmm. the one about height is like Um, I feel like what happens is that most people set their dating preferences in terms of what they're looking for for height. So they'll set it and like anybody who's under a specific height don't show up in their list, right? So I probably don't show up in a lot of women's lists because of my height and I always declare it. But I've done an experiment where I didn't put my height in and I got a lot of people swiping on me. And so I was like, okay. That's what it is. I didn't swipe back on any of them because obviously they probably thought I was taller than I was, but it was a good little experiment to do for about a week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, yeah. And so it was just a hunch that I had and I was right. And then I was like, okay, okay. let me put the height back on there and away I went. And, and, um, and that, but the one thing is, is that it guaranteed that I would match with people that, you know, if they saw that, it wouldn't have mattered. And yeah. so, yeah, you end up connecting with people, but oftentimes, that woman would want to have babies and Johnny old done having babies. Um, my babies in this lifetime have all been made <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I'm fresh out. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that, that happens a lot too. And that's, that's totally fine. I always say to a woman who wants to have kids, I say, and that is a dream you should never let go of or let yeah. anybody compromise because having kids is an amazing experience. And I think everybody, if they can, Uh, should have if that's what they want and that's what their dream is go for it and don't compromise Uh, be with someone who wants to have kids as well um and And so so i yeah go ahead sorry oh
0: i was just gonna ask how does the sobriety conversation go do you list on your profile never for drinking or like what's the response been to that
1: always always never and if there's an option put to put sober i'll put sober on there And, um, when I search, I don't search specifically for someone who is also sober or not a drinker. Uh, I, I go through phase. I used to go through phases where I was like, well, I only want to date someone who is sober. And then I go through phases where it doesn't matter. And now I'm in the state of life where it doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, as long as that person has a healthy relationship with alcohol, then it's fine with me. Like everybody in my life has a healthy relationship with alcohol and I know what problem drinking looks like. So, I can always flex that boundary if I need to. Right. Yeah. So um, what happens a lot is uh, we'll match, start to chat and it goes well. And then the question pops up, like um, they'll bring it up. Usually the the woman will ask me, I see you don't drink. Um, Is there a specific reason? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll say like right away, it's like, yeah, I quit drinking seven and a half years ago. But here's the thing. Um, I don't tell them my story. I don't tell them why or anything. No one deserves that yet. And that's a really good, that's a really good piece of advice I got, uh, from my dating coach is like, you don't have to get into everything right away. Like people don't deserve all the parts of you. That's part of the people pleasing that I was leaving behind, Mm -hmm. um, was like, they don't deserve all of that yet. So just tell them that you, you know, so I was just say stuff like, yeah, just didn't agree with me. Um, and, uh, I, it was holding me back. So I decided to cut it out altogether. And I just, it just doesn't agree with me. And I, I'll never drink again. It's just not, not something that I want to do. Yeah. And I kind of just leave it at that. And if they keep pressing me on it, um, then I'll say, well, it sounds like that's an issue for you and, um, maybe this isn't the best match and then I'll move on. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're really pressing me, it's usually they've had a negative experience with someone who was a drinker. Or, um, all, you know, I, I would have ladies say stuff like, well, my last boyfriend was sober, but he ended up drinking. And that's why I'm single again, because I left him. And I was like, I just don't want to go through that again. I was like, well, number one, I'm not your boyfriend. Yeah, I'm a different person. And I've been sober for seven and a half years. And, um, and I know you don't trust me because you don't know me and that's fine. But I always took a little bit of offense to when people would just assume I was going to be like every other alcoholic that they knew. And then right?
0: relapse after. a certain, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you live a life where you're going to make me relapse, like number one, no one can make me relapse, but me, mm-hmm. that's, I'm not your responsibility. Um, but if that's your thought process, then yeah, we're not a match because, you know, obviously it, that's not, that's not what I want you always looking over your shoulder or whatever right so yeah. um sometimes it's easier to date someone who is who is sober and then uh, and then i got into the wild world of uh dating within the rooms of recovery and so um i just ended up meeting a few people who were also in recovery but then said like actually i don't date in recovery and i was thinking about maybe but it, i don't want to do that so then like, people would always go well why don't you find someone in in your recovery rooms and it's like you can't <laughs> so
0: is that is is a recovery room like an AA meeting or
1: yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. There's usually, um, you know, if you're single in AA, um, a lot of the advice that comes from sponsors and even from myself to sponsees is like stay away from relationships within the rooms for the first few years. But wow. I know a lot of happy functioning couples within AA and it's possible. It's just, it's just, sometimes it's just not somebody's flavor. Right. So, um, You know, yet another roadblock that you'll run into in sobriety is like some some people who are sober don't want to date someone who's sober because, you know, they feel like there's a lot of baggage there. And I was like, well, my thinking is, is that a lot of people who do drink also have baggage. I mean, everybody's got baggage. So it's just about your personal preference about how much baggage you want to deal with.
0: Yeah. And I don't even know if it's like baggage, but just like a lot of like emotional processing and a lot of things going on that it's like, I'm just trying to keep my own shit together. Like, I don't know if I could handle the Yeah, the responsibility of like what it feels like being that emotional support for somebody else going through the same thing at the same time.
1: Exactly. And I felt like uh, my my rule of thumb now is that that person has to have at least two years of sobriety and, and have some ongoing self-awareness and work being done, therapy, recovery meetings, whatever. I- I'd be happy to date someone that, uh, that has all of that going on.
0: I'm sure um, the ladies listening are going to love to hear that.
1: <laughs> well, it is really important. I-, I think that, um, I think two sober people can have a completely wonderful, rewarding, fulfilling, insert every adjective and positive mindset yeah. in their uh, a relationship that works on all levels um, and the part of the, the part of the, the thing that really turns me on about someone who's sober is, and doing the work and has some solid sobriety and a sober group of people and sober community around them, um, is that, uh, I get, I, I can benefit from that. Um, I can become a better sober person and I can help that person become a better sober person. Mm-hmm. Like what better kind of a team to like raise a blended family or kids or whatever, um, like both have empires get together and create something amazing that, that excites me about getting together with someone who's sober because we've already done all the crap and we're done with all of it. We're done with the unfulfilling relationships. We're done with people who are using us. We're done with toxicity. We're done with abusive people. And now we're just looking towards the future and it's bright. And you know, people who aren't sober don't know that struggle. Yeah. Right they don't know that struggle. They don't, they may not be able to appreciate it. It's not to say that they don't, but there's a different level of understanding. And, and, um, so sometimes I'm just, I just feel like I'm better understood by someone who's sober. Mm -hmm.
0: And so you started dating when you already had some years of sobriety under your belt do you feel like it would have been a different experience if you were maybe only three months or six months like, or in that early sobriety stage?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I would have like walked into every date bawling my eyes out. You're the <laughs> perfect woman for me. You know? Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, in early sobriety, uh, one of the biggest issues that kind of happened to our marriage is be- I became like attached, anxiously attached in a very unhealthy way to my ex-wife. And so, um, as she began to pull away, uh, I, I became more controlling because I felt like if I didn't have her, I would have nothing. And it was such a huge mistake for me. Um, and so now that's kind of like, I look back on my experience and I go, this is why I would never date someone who had like less than a year or less than two years of sobriety. I mean, obviously everybody's different and they could have like a really solid first year, but you you really have a lot of work to do in those first two years and a lot of post-acute withdrawal syndromes don't really dissipate until the, about the second year, um, between a year and a, and two years. And so after learning that and, you know, remembering how I was in early sobriety with my ex-wife, you know, um, I, I took that and I go, yeah, then there's, there's real possibility that someone I meet or want to date in early sobriety, going to have those same issues. Um, so yeah, if I'd gone out there three or six months, I would have been a an emotional wreck. It would not have been fun.
0: Yeah, and it's just it can be really hard to navigate those conversations. So I actually um, submitted a questions poll on my Instagram page, and I have a couple yeah. questions about Let's sober dating okay. that people have submitted. Okay, okay, so the first one
1: is I'm to grab some water.
0: Okay, can you hear me still? I can. Yeah. Okay. So how do you let the other person know that you don't drink?
1: Uh, okay, so if you're using dating apps, um, always select never or sober. If you're comfortable saying you're sober, you, you can do that. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable uh, saying that you're sober on a dating app, then just put never. And that usually will weed out the people who just are there to get drunk or get you drunk and and uh and either hurt you or abuse you or just use their you for a distraction so that kind of weeds out the people who are going to make your sobriety a little bit more difficult i mean if you're out there looking for casual sex um then whether you drink or not shouldn't really matter but if you're out there looking for a real connection long-term or a short-term one i would say that um uh yeah on the dating apps it's one thing just put it out there right away um but if you're not and you're you're out there in the real world trying to meet people um i found i find that uh, just to come out and say like um you just kind of wait for the moment because you don't lead with it um for example I had someone uh, set me up with i had a friend set me up with a girl for a date and um and my and my friend knew that I didn't drink um and this other girl wasn't a big drinker anyway but when we connected, she said, do you want to go for a drink? And I said, yeah, not a problem. Um, where do you want to go? And then she suggested a, a local craft brewery. And I was like, that's cool. And uh, just to let you know, uh, I don't drink, but I'll have like a kombucha or something like that, or a non-alcoholic uh, beer or whatever. And um, that person was like, cool, no problem. It wasn't a connection, but it was a very healthy meeting. Yeah. yeah and so when and you're I- upfront like that, yeah, people, like the right kind of person appreciates honesty. And so you'll find that the person who challenges you on that or goes, oh, and then there's a pause or you get ghosted. Or like not even that person, just one. Yeah. That person's shit. Just like that's not the person for you. You know, I, I know that a lot of people go into dating with an idea that the next person is going to be the person that is for them. That's just not true. <laughs> you know, Um so if you're if you're afraid how this person might judge you, then that's maybe a signal for you to go back and do a little bit more work because you have to go into dating as a sober person with confidence. Yeah. If there's no confidence there, then there could be an opening for a relapse or for you to uh, start people pleasing again, which will create resentments, which could bring you back to drinking. So um confidence is key. Like if you're afraid to say that you don't drink, then get to the point where you're not afraid to tell people you don't drink because it should be something that you wear and that you're proud about. And I know that you probably are, but if you're still stuck in that people-pleasing mindset, then then yeah, then that's the wrong way to go about it. Because really you shouldn't give a shit what anybody thinks when it comes to your sobriety because that's your life force. That's how you stay alive. And if someone's going to judge you for it, then they're shit people.
0: A hundred percent. And it does take time to get to that place with yourself where you, yeah. like, where you can feel confident telling a stranger that you've never met before. I don't drink and not care about what their reaction is. So if you're not there yet, maybe it's not the best time to start dating. And, yeah. but I think that what you said also is just like be completely transparent. And I think you don't need to make it into a big grand explanation like, if somebody yeah. says, do, they didn't, let's say they didn't read your profile, they didn't see that you selected never, and they say, you want to meet for drinks, a simple yes, that would be great, as long as there's a non alcoholic option for me, like, period, yeah. the end. Like, it doesn't need to be, well, I'm actually haven't drank in the last three months and I'm really trying. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't owe anybody that explanation. Like you said earlier, like, they don't get to know everything.
1: Yeah. About yeah, that's just, right. Yeah. They don't get to know everything about you. And um those are all things that you that's a boundary that as a sober person, you have to, I think that's a really important one, is to keep your story close to your chest until that person proves themselves, that they're trustworthy, and that, yeah. you know, they're going to support you. Because what happens is when you tell someone your story, and you're vulnerable about it, um that person has to respond with support. That puts them on the spot. And, um, you know, I've, I've met and I've known people who are sober, meet someone who drinks, and then that person responds with drinking less or mm-hmm. changing their lives and or really respecting it and like respecting every boundary that that person has around drinking. And those are important things that it's a lot to ask of someone really early on. So, yeah, you know, save your story and the deeper parts of it until you're, you know.
0: For somebody that deserves to hear it. Yeah, exactly. So the next question is, can it work if the other person isn't sober?
1: Yeah, I think it can. I mean, there are. I have a friend who is sober. Uh, She's been sober for five years, just met a really great guy who isn't sober. And uh, again, just sort of piggybacking off of what we just said, like the right kind of person is going to go, oh, yeah, like alcohol doesn't mean that much to me. I can go with or without it. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll find out real quick who has, who also has a problem with alcohol, but not willing to address it. You know, yeah. you know, you could be dating someone who's a weekend warrior and that's a red flag for you because you're not going to get to see that person all weekend long. And if you're a single parent, your weekends are just going to be hanging around with someone who's hung over. Who wants that? You left that behind. Why would you want yeah. it? So I think it. I think it depends on the person's relationship with alcohol, and that only becomes apparent to you after you get to know them for a little bit. Test them. Yeah, I know that sounds shitty, but uh, just see how they react when you go along to a party or something like that. Um, the right kind of person will adjust um, their expectations on alcohol and dating um, because it's a life or death thing for you. It's not just a frill or mm-hmm. an add on right it's it's ingrained in our culture that drinking is a part of dating and it's bullshit it absolutely is garbage because i've gone on a lot of dates with women who are sober or rarely drink and they've been great dates now when i say great date doesn't mean like everyone has to be a connection and whatever else there's yeah, other reasons and nice why we're time
0: getting to know someone.
1: exactly exactly um but, yeah, I, I think, it again, that question is not an easy yes or no. It's not black and white. Unfortunately, there's a really gray answer there.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. It depends on the person, their relationship with alcohol, and I think just mm-hmm. their self-awareness to clue into like, how their behavior and their drinking may be impacting yeah.
1: you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because it will impact you whether you like it or not. I mean, if you've left booze behind, there was a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if something's getting serious with someone, I have in my mind to say to them right away is like, my house is a booze-free home. And it always will be. And if that makes you uncomfortable moving forward, then that's something you're going to have to have a, you're going to have to think about. Like, I would never hold that conversation back too long, but it should be one that I, 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 I should feel comfortable having maybe after a third or fourth date, because after yeah. three or four dates, I should be of the mind, whether, whether or not, like we're going to be something right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not the kind of person that's going to have 10 to 20 dates with someone and still not know, like that's bullshit. I'm still a hardcore believer in courtship. And I think, um I think w- women don't know how to receive courtship anymore and men don't know how to court. And so, um, and that's something uh, I don't know if that's a post-COVID thing or if that's just a social media problem it's or a whatever.
0: Society, social media, like that instant gratification. There's always something the around the corner. Yeah,
1: yeah. I just I just went through that with someone who was like I was seeing someone kind of like not serious, and then we went on our date, and it kind of felt like I was the checkpoint. Like uh, I'm going to just check with this guy <laughs> to make sure that the other thing isn't. You mm-hmm. know, that just feels really shitty and um it happens a lot and i've heard that a lot um you know there was someone else and i think i go and spend my time there and it's like thanks for the thanks for the first date and the kissing and all that great stuff but it's like now what right so it's a it's a shitty feeling and whether you are very communicative about it and it's early on it's still a really shitty feeling to put someone through so i feel like if i'm going to like spend more than two dates with someone i should just Shut everybody else out and concentrate on that one person. Cause wouldn't you want that from somebody if you were yeah. looking for a long term relationship? That's yeah, kind of that's I'm a thinking.
0: really nice mentality to have and just like not the reality of like so many people. It's kind of like date as many people at once as you can, like don't make anybody a priority. And it's just kind of like yeah. that cutthroat, like
1: I Yeah, don't we care all about feel you. it.
0: I'm gonna see what's best for me.
1: Yeah, and people will say that I care about you, but they really really don't. They don't care about you specifically. They care about how they're perceived by you. Right? So they say, "Well, I really care about you and you're a really nice guy and blah blah blah." And number one, that really nice guy thing, please stop saying that because like Really? It, well, the thing is about saying that you're a really nice guy, it kind of challenges my masculinity a little bit because like I'm not I'm like I'm not out here looking to be friend zoned or to be your best mm. friend. I'm looking for someone for the rest of my life or for uh, my next chapter of life or as long as it works out. Right. Sure. But, um, you know, like to just hear the really nice guy thing, it's like, you actually don't, you actually, I, yeah, I'm a really nice guy because I didn't hurt you on our one or two dates, but you so know, what's a just, better
0: way to like articulate that to someone that maybe you are a nice person. I've enjoyed this process, but it's not it for me. Like what's, what would be a nice way to receive that message?
1: I, I don't think you have to say to the guy, you're a really nice guy. I mean, he knows he's a nice guy. Sure. Um, You can just say, you can just say that the the latter part of that. Um, I had a really great time with you, but I feel like my heart's being called elsewhere. I don't know. You can get poetic about it, but no I don't connection. think I don't, there's no, yeah, there's just no connection. You can say, yeah. you can just say it's like, And I have said that to ladies, I've said, that date was really great. Like I, no one needs smoke blown up their ass. You can just say, you, you both know you're really great people because now you went on a date.
0: Yeah. And I (laughs) think that's like, I'm a people pleaser too. So I think that over explaining and wanting to give people the, so much information. I used to do that a
1: lot. Yeah. Yeah, I used to do that a lot and it just got me in more trouble. Um, (laughs) so I think it's just like, yeah, we had a really great time, but I didn't feel a romantic connection and I wish you all the best. Perfect. That's it. And every time I hear that or every time I say that it's always received or I always express gratitude. And so, um, you know, I, I I don't need someone to blow smoke up my ass. I know I'm a great guy. I'm actually the most awesomest person in my life. And I have to think like that as a sober person. So I know I'm a great guy and I know I'm a nice guy and I know my, masculinity is firmly in place because i want to court someone i'm not there to be like your best friend or your dumping ground right away like let's build a relationship and then you can vent to me all day long and i will listen to every word you say um but i don't want that on the first date like i've gone on dates where it people know i'm in the poetry bandit and it turns into a therapy session and that's not what i want
0: oh yeah yeah
1: I mean, I've had women disclose sexual trauma on the first date, and that's a huge red flag for me, obviously, yeah. it's a red flag because, like I don't care if you're going to therapy or whatever, and yes, all that shit is just awful, and no one deserves to go through that, but a first date is not where you talk about it um no again, that's about your story, like if you're in recovery for whatever it might be that's those are parts of you that that other person doesn't deserve just yet you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. So I have one more question. Um, I'm just trying to see how she phrased it. So this is a quote from someone. She says, I feel like my biggest issue is the nerves of letting go of perhaps negative relationships because you don't want to date new people sober. So what's mm-hmm. the best way to get over that? Like fear of attachment, of letting go of something, even though you know it may not be the right fit for you, right. and it's unhealthy, but you're too scared to take that next step and date sober. I mean, my immediate, I, re- I think response would be end that unhealthy relationship and then don't date sober.
1: Do you exactly. sober? Exactly. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I was gonna say because I'd been there, and like that's you know in early like early dating. For me, um suddenly, I would feel myself getting attached, and then I would be immediately like uh, yeah this isn't this isn't what I want yet, actually, so it's a good signal to go back and do more work on yourself, do more work on everything that that's behind that feeling and and that means like exactly what you said, do you sober before you start dating sober um that that's great advice because like You don't want to get into another situation where you are creating another unhealthy attachment. And everybody says, like, don't jump into the next relationship right after you end one. Um, Mm. And that's always great advice. Because um, if you're self-aware enough, you'll see the warning signs and your body will tell you. Your gut will tell you. Sober people have an excellent gut. You know, once you begin to listening, listening to your body, your body will tell you what's good for you and what's bad for you. You can't sleep. You got anxiety, you're not hungry, you're not eating, you're not exercising. Um, you know, all of that are great indications that you're in a situation that you you shouldn't be in.
0: Yeah, I recently read a book. Um, it's called The Gift of Fear, and it's a really mm. good book. But it's about basically like following your intuition and your body signals like in situations yeah. That your body responds to fear and one of the things that the author talks about is like going into dating situations if you're like in a new romantic relationship and you get those butterflies and like that really upset stomach like it's actually not a sign of excitement and like, and like romance it's a red flag that your body is signaling you and like giving you a red flag that like something here is wrong and like that's a response Mm -hmm. of anxiety.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've heard that as well. And so I've like heightened awareness of like how I yeah. feel when I meet someone. And, um, you know, a little while back, I did meet someone that I was kind of excited about. And it turned out like, yeah, I was just the Czech guy. And I was like, Oh, my body was right again, right? Like, yeah. And I remembered that I remembered that. Um, because I've heard that from I've heard that from my dating coach, actually, I think she said something like something about that. But um, yeah, that, that brought me a lot of uh, comfort to know that my body was still looking out for me.
0: Yeah, and once you're sober, I do feel like you really can pick up on those things. And like every experience that you have dating or not is just like information gathering.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, and sometimes it's like, you just have to say that when you're out there. It's like, um, y- you can say stuff like, I'm just looking or I'm not sure mm-hmm. what my dating goals are. Um, I'm just looking to meet some good people or expand my friend circle. Like there's nothing wrong with saying any of that as long as you're communicating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like sometimes people don't receive that information. Well, it's like, well, it's either you're here for a hookup or you're here for a long term. Like there's almost no space for that in between of just like seeing what happens. It's a very
1: immature way of looking at dating. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, what's next for the Poetry Bandit? You have three (laughs) books, right? I saw you posted on Instagram. There's a fourth in the works?
1: Yeah, I just started. Uh, I finally thought, well, last year was going to be the year that I was going to do the book. 2022 was probably the most challenging year of my life just as a father and as a business owner and as a sober guy uh I started the year off with a kidney stone that was the size of Tom Selleck's mustache so oh it was kind of like <laughs> it was kind of like the doctors were like you do know that the pain that you're feeling is uh greater than childbirth at this point oh due to the God. size of the stone and I was like I'll keep that in my hat but now I'm 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 happy to say that I survived but I started my year off with surgery and everything that goes along with that and being very careful about like you know, being an addict in recovery is making sure that I don't start a new one. So, like, mm. I was very careful with pain meds and took them according to doctor's orders and didn't take the other ones that they gave me. Um, and, yeah, it was very – It started, the year started off with a lot of pain. And then nothing seemed to get better. So I didn't write. I didn't do any real writing. I did a lot of reposting and stuff. And But, you know, I, I did write a lot of stuff that, um, you know, I felt – like was everything I was feeling from the previous year, so I did a lot of writing about that, and I feel like now I've got enough in my phone that I can uh, just put it all together. So, um, so this is the yeah. So this is the year I do a fourth book, and we'll see if there's a publisher out there that wants to do it because I have a good portfolio working with other publishers in the past, mm-hmm. and if I can't find anybody, uh, I'll self-publish it. I'll do it myself, like I did with my first book.
0: That's exciting. So which yeah. one was your first book, My Sober Little Moon?
1: Yeah, that's the one I wrote while I was still drinking and trying to get sober. So from okay. October 2014 to July 2015 and a little bit after that, those are all poems I wrote during that time. And, um, and my second book was my first book that I did with a publisher, which I uh, worked with Macmillan in New York and whether subsidiaries and uh, we did you only love me when I'm suffering, which is sort of a collection of poems that I wrote after I got sober. Um, And it doesn't really have like a theme or anything like that, but it's just sort of a collection of poems that kind of take you through the emotions of what happens after you get sober. And then my third book encyclopedia of a broken heart was my second one with Macmillan. And that one was about um, basically about saying goodbye to somebody and everything that comes along with it. Mm
0: -hmm. Beautiful. So if somebody wants to support your writing, um, where can they find you online? What's the best way to purchase your books?
1: Um, I am on uh, all, all my books are on Amazon. Uh, if you're in Canada, my books are available on Indigo's website and also in store uh, or Coles, And then also um, some of the local bookstores may have it. Um and then you also have Barnes and Noble in the States. They should be available there or to order through their website. And then Amazon's always like the easiest place to go. Uh all three of them will be there. And then I do sell some signed copies of what's available in my own personal stash on my Etsy page. And then also um yeah, and then they can find me on Instagram. I'm not really on any of the other platforms because I just don't have time to manage them and uh and I don't have money to pay someone to do it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, perfect. So send me yeah. your Etsy link. Um I'll include all of that in the show notes so people can easily find and support you. Thank you. Of course. And so one final question before we go. I like to ask this um of everyone who's on the show and it's what's one thing you wish you knew about sobriety before getting sober?
1: Um like how much I would love uh how much I would love myself and other people. Because, like, when I was drinking, I really didn't trust a lot of people. I didn't really love anybody. I mean, I loved my kids. um, Mm -hmm. But having this uh, desire to help and to, like, um, just, like, this deeper love for the human race, like, unless I'm in traffic, you know, I (laughs) love, you know. (laughs) Uh, That's the first thing that comes to mind is just how much, like, I I want everybody to enjoy what I'm enjoying. Um, out of sobriety is this over over overload of joy and gratitude for, for my life each and every day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, life still goes through ups and downs and there are really difficult days out there. But, you know, overall, I get to wake up completely clear of mind and a purpose. And um, and that's a great thing. I would just hope everybody was, is able to find.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun.
1: Thanks, Keisha. I appreciate it. (laughs) Bye-bye. See you later.
0: This is Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find me at donewithdebauchery.com or follow along on Instagram at donewithdebauchery. Thanks for listening.